Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. I'm Margaret Brennan, and today on Face the Nation, the Supreme Court preserves access to an abortion pill for now. And a daring evacuation of U.S. government personnel out of the embattled country of Sudan. Overnight, the mission to get U.S. diplomats and other personnel out of Sudan was successful. But what about the hundreds more Americans still trapped there? We'll talk with Delaware Democrat Chris Coons. He's on the Africa subcommittee in the Senate. Then the Supreme Court makes an emergency ruling to keep mifepristone accessible for abortion, but sends the case back to the lower courts. Is the fight over? We'll tell you what's next. And the politics of abortion within the Republican Party. Our Robert Costa sat down with former vice president and potential 2024 candidate Mike Pence. Will he enter the race and challenge the former president? Are you leaning in or are you leaning away from running? Well, I'm here in Iowa, Robert. Plus, a series of deadly shooting errors. Firing first and asking questions later is taking its toll on a nation already anxious about gun violence. We'll talk with the mayor of Kansas City, Quentin Lucas, about the challenges he's facing running a blue city in a red state. Finally, an interview with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. He's back in power, but what's different now? It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. We begin with a daring special forces rescue operation to get American diplomats out of Sudan, where fighting continues as two top generals there jockey for power. The State Department says security conditions aren't expected to improve anytime soon and has temporarily suspended operations at the U.S. Embassy in Sudan's capital, Khartoum. Meanwhile, there are still hundreds of American citizens stranded in Sudan, where the airports have been closed for days. For more now, we turn to national security correspondent David Martin. David, good morning. Good morning. So this operation was high risk. Uh, You had U.S. forces flying 800 miles from Djibouti to Ethiopia, then launching from Ethiopia to Sudan, and had to go all the way back to Djibouti at the end. Airlifted up about 100 people out of the U.S. embassy. Uh, how did all this come together? Well, <clears throat> distance was the primary challenge here. 800 miles, helicopters just can't go that far. So you had to set up this uh, forward staging base in uh, Ethiopia where they could top off before the aircraft uh, went into uh, the embassy in uh, Khartoum. The other thing was the uncertainty of whether or not they were going to be shot at. Mm -hmm. Um, Both generals of these two warring sides had been warned in no uncertain terms, do not interfere. But you couldn't count at that because we've we've seen all these ceasefires uh, break down. So the aircraft went in at night, low level, and they had 100 uh, special operations uh, commandos on board. 
those commandos set up a perimeter around this landing zone that was just outside the embassy and guarded that perimeter while the, uh, the diplomats boarded the helicopters. Overhead, there were two C-130 aircraft, mm-hmm. uh, one of which was for communications. The other was a gunship ready to take anybody who tried to uh, approach the embassy under fire. They were on the ground for a little more than half an hour. Wow. Uh, no shots were fired. And, uh, and then they were back on their uh, way. Somebody uh, called it a, a pretty easy in and out, but it was a long and grueling night. I mean, from start to finish, it was 17 hours. And, and it was so high risk. This went, sounds like, as best as could possibly be expected, but there are still hundreds of American citizens who were on the ground. There was no plan to evacuate them. These were just government personnel pulled out. Um, The State Department and the Pentagon say they'll do what they can to help Americans get out. What does that mean? Well, it certainly doesn't mean going in and seizing the airport and doing the normal kind of evacuation aboard airliners out of there. What it means is conducting reconnaissance along this uh, land route that goes from Khartoum all the way over uh, to Port Sudan on the Red Sea, which is a 12-hour drive under the best conditions. So they can conduct reconnaissance over that, and then they can have U.S. Navy ships waiting uh, to take in any uh, Americans who, who make that drive. But uh, that, again, will be at, the, at a minimum a long and grueling drive, and you know, the conditions are just chaotic. No, and um, <clears throat> it is such a high-risk environment. David, thank you very much sure. for all of your reporting. We go now to Democratic Senator Chris Coons, who joins us from Wilmington, Delaware. Good morning to you, Senator. I know you've said you feared this violence uh, for the past few weeks, and it was this intense fighting between uh, Sudan's armed forces and a paramilitary group that led to this dramatic evacuation. Do you think the U.S. should have pulled out sooner? Well, Margaret, if I'd been on this show just two weeks ago, we wouldn't have been talking about fighting in Sudan because there wasn't any. Uh, There were special envoys from the U.N., the A.U., the U.S., all negotiating with these two generals, General Hamedi, General Burhan, of the regular army and the paramilitary. I'm still hopeful that they could return to a civilian government. Uh, It unwound fast in just the last week. uh, And I'm grateful that our special forces uh, have now successfully overnight evacuated the U.S. nationals who work in our embassy in Khartoum. This is a temporary suspension. Uh, It's my hope and theirs that we will be able to return uh, to Khartoum and the situation will stabilize. Uh, But, Margaret, this is the same sort of thing that happened in Kyiv and Ukraine that has happened in other countries in Yemen and Syria, uh, where when the fighting gets intense quickly, um, we rely on our special forces to evacuate um, U.S. nationals who staff an embassy in a country that descends into a war zone. Well, I know you've been saying the country may tip into all-out civil war. Um, Russia and China have really been extending their influence throughout Africa, Russia in Sudan as well, including that paramilitary group Wagner. Um, they they uh, have left behind hundreds of American civilians in Sudan who now don't necessarily have a way out of the country. Um, are you concerned about how the United States can use some kind of leverage to help its citizens escape? Well, Margaret, uh, just a reminder that Sudan is a vast country. It's the third largest country in Africa, a country of 45 million people spread over a huge amount of territory. Uh, Yes, I am concerned about the safety and security of U.S. nationals uh, who've been serving in humanitarian missions or uh, in other ways across the country. There are quite a few uh, U.S.-Sudanese dual nationals in the country, uh, and the U.N. and the U.S. and a number of other countries uh, will do their best to help uh, return to civilian rule, to end the fighting, to support a stabilization in Sudan. Uh, But as for right now, an evacuation through some overland convoy is the most likely path out uh, for folks who work for the U.N. in the World Food Program, for example, um, who serve other countries in Khartoum and around the country, uh, and for those remaining U.S. nationals who may wish to leave. But does the U.S. have any leverage to stop the fighting? Uh, Just a reminder, uh, Margaret, 
This is a country that for 30 years was under the brutal dictatorship of Omar al-Bashir. It was on the state sponsor of terrorism list. We don't have uh, deep relationships with the Sudanese military uh, or with the paramilitary force, the RSF. We have some leverage in that we provide development assistance, humanitarian relief. Uh, But frankly, these two warring factions uh, have started what may well be a fight to the finish. Uh, And we may have limited leverage uh, in the next couple of weeks and months as they carry out a fight to see who will ultimately be in control of the security of Sudan. And that is why there's so much concern. Um, I want to ask you as well about your position on the Judiciary Committee. Um, CBS interviewed earlier this week uh, an attorney for an IRS agent who is seeking whistleblower status from Congress to share information he says would contradict sworn testimony to Congress by a senior political appointee regarding the investigation into Hunter Biden. Do you think it's worth looking into the possibility of undue influence here? Look, anyone who comes forward and seeks whistleblower protection status um, should be given that status. Uh, That's part of what uh, we've put in place over many years, a system that allows um, career uh, folks who work in different federal agencies the chance to uh, blow the whistle and testify if they see something wrong. Uh, I'll remind you, nothing's been presented yet. Uh, This person hasn't come forward in any detail. Uh, If and when they do, if there's any substance to it, um, I expect that the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Dick Durbin, and the ranking member um, will ensure that they are fairly and appropriately treated. Are you confident in the conduct of Attorney General Merrick Garland when it comes to this case? I am. Um, Look, President Biden, from um, the days he was campaigning to his first days as president, made it clear Uh, that he thought restoring the independence of the Department of Justice, uh, removing any uh, political influence uh, for potential investigations was a a core value that he brought to this um, service as president. And I'm confident that's in no small part why he chose um, a seasoned circuit court judge, uh, someone with also deep experience at DOJ. I am confident that Merrick Garland has conducted himself appropriately here. Uh, CBS reported back in October that the FBI had gathered evidence sufficient enough to charge Hunter Biden with tax and gun-related crimes and sent it to the U.S. attorney in Delaware. And we know that in the coming days, Mr. Biden's attorneys are set to meet with the U.S. attorney in Delaware. Do you have any sense if this is going to conclude soon? It's been ongoing since 2018. Uh, No, I don't, Margaret, nor should I. Um, It is an ongoing investigation that, as you say, has been uh, conducted for years. Um, The U.S. attorney here in Delaware is the U.S. attorney who was appointed by the previous administration. Uh, And uh, look, if there are any charges ever brought, uh, we'll discuss them at that time. At this point, uh, I think this is um, a long going federal investigation, which I hope will reach a conclusion at some point soon. All right. Uh, Senator Coons, thank you for joining us this morning and giving us your perspective. Thank you, Margaret. We turn now to the Friday Supreme Court decision, which preserves access to a widely used abortion pill for now, while the legal process in the lower courts continues. Chief legal correspondent Jan Crawford joins us. Jan, it's good to have you back here. This was a decision you predicted seven to two. Uh, The dissent coming from Justice Alito Clarence Thomas also objecting. Um, The Supreme Court is keeping the drug available now. So what happens next? Well, that's right. I mean, the bottom line is that this drug will remain available nationwide without any restrictions while these appeals play out. And that could take uh, at least a year. I mean, even though this case is really on a fast track, there's an argument next month before a panel of judges of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, uh, which will decide at some point whether that lower court judge in Texas was right uh, that the FDA improperly authorized mifepristone some two decades ago. But regardless of whatever the appeals court decides, whoever loses is going to go right back to the Supreme Court and ask the justices to step in and decide the merits whether the FDA uh, properly followed the right steps when it approved mifepristone in 2000 and then when it agreed to make it more widely available, easier for women to get in 2016. That will set the stage for a major Supreme Court case on abortion access, possibly as soon as next year. An election year, too. Uh, Jan, uh, there's great irony in the fact that the Supreme Court sent the decision on abortion access back to the states 
after Dobbs. And now we're talking about going back to the Supreme Court to decide on it again. Um, will the justices, I mean, how involved will they get? I mean, you think this is inevitable. It ends up there. Well, I think it's going to go right back to the Supreme Court because whoever loses will appeal it and ask the justice to get involved and decide it. I don't think that they will. I don't think they'll don't ever think they'll reach the merits. It. Well, I think they'll they'll have to hear it, but I think they're going to dismiss it on standing grounds. They're going to say uh, that these challengers who went after the FDA authorization weren't able to show that they had right to be in federal court in the first place. Um, and let me just, I mean, those are kind of bedrock conservative legal principles that really go to the heart of this case. To get into federal court, you can't just be upset about some issue. You know, you've got to show you've been harmed, that you have a stake in the case. Uh, it can't be just something speculative in the future. And I think that's a real problem for the challengers here. Now, the lower courts saw it differently. The Trump appointee, federal judge saw it differently. But these conservative justices take those kind of standing issues very seriously because it goes to the point of judicial restraint. And that's why what they're doing with this case is entirely consistent with what they did with Dobbs, the ruling that overturned Roe versus Wade and last year and sent it back to the states. What they're doing in this case is, is really saying, if they follow this rule on standing, that these challengers don't have business being federal courts. We're going to set keep that kind of a high bar for getting into the courts. We don't mm -hmm. want federal judges ruling on these social issues that belongs in the political process. So the bottom line for this case, I think next yeah. year, it, whenever they get back to it, is I think they're going to dismiss it on standing. I think these conservative justices will join with the liberals and say uh, the challengers don't have a right to sue in this case. It could be eight to one, uh, possibly even unanimous. Um, very quickly, a lot of scrutiny of Clarence Thomas. Uh, what do you think is going to happen to him? Well, as you know, there's been reports that he failed to disclose a couple different things on his disclosure forms of uh, vacations that were paid for by a really rich friend of his that he didn't disclose. Uh, the rules on that were not very clear. They were recently amended. So he said he'll report that going forward. I think the more problematic one uh, is some property that he and his family sold to the same friend that that wasn't disclosed. Uh, his his people close to Thomas have suggested that's because he didn't make a profit on that. So he yeah. thought he didn't need to disclose it. Uh, the bottom line, though, is Democrats are calling for hearings. Uh, Republicans are saying mm -hmm. this is ridiculous. This is politics. Yeah. If it sounds like a mess, uh, it is. And the Supreme Court could do well okay. by looking at adopting its own code of conduct. Jane Crawford, thanks so much for your reporting. The issue of abortion will likely play a role in the 2024 elections. Yesterday, our Robert Costa went to Iowa and spoke with one of those potential Republican candidates, former Vice President Mike Pence, and asked him about the court's decision. I'm pro-life. I don't apologize for it. I think the fact the Biden administration allowed mifepristone to be made available on a mail-order basis was a, a fundamental change. Uh, even in states that have limited abortion. I'd like to see this medication off the market to protect the unborn, but also I, I, I have deep concerns about the way the FDA went about approving mifepristone 20 years ago. Uh, I, I'm grateful uh, that action is being taken in the courts to hold the FDA accountable to what the law requires in reviewing any medication that's made on the marketplace. So for the sake of protecting the unborn, but also uh, for the health and safety of women. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to this, uh, this litigation continuing uh, and holding the manufacturers of mifepristone accountable and ultimately putting the interests of women first. The FDA has disputed claims that it's unsafe, saying that serious complications are rare and less than 1% of patients need hospitalization. That's their position. Well, I understand that, Robert, but under the Obama administration, uh, the FDA actually stopped chronicling non-fatal results of mifepristone. And one of the things that I hope changes in the course of this litigation is the FDA gets back to reporting to the American people all of the health impacts. But uh, I do believe this issue bears upon the health and safety of women, and we've got to hold this the FDA accountable to the law. Very, very big right now in the Republican Party. There's a real debate anti-abortion activist Marjorie Dannenfelser has said that anyone who takes former President Trump's position that states should decide what happens on abortion, she has called that a morally indefensible position. Do you agree? The cause of restoring the sanctity of life 
to the center of American law is the calling of our time. The Supreme Court in the Dobbs decision last June gave the American people a new beginning for life. It returned to the question uh, of abortion to states and to the American people, but it didn't just return it exclusively to the states. And that's where I disagree with the former president. This isn't a states-only decision. Uh, we have elected representatives uh, in the Congress of the United States and we'll elect a president again in 2024. And I think the American people would welcome a minimum national standard in Washington, D.C., 15 weeks. Is former President Trump in retreat on the abortion front? Well, I'd, I'd leave that to others. What's your take? You can ask him. Your top aide, Mark Short, has said on the record, former President Trump is in retreat. Well, I, I, look, that, that's a great question for him. I, I couldn't be more proud to have been vice president in the administration that appointed three of the justices to the Supreme Court that sent Roe versus Wade to the ash heap of history. But Robert, now we're in a new season, um, and I think millions of pro-life Americans want to see us seize every opportunity to put the interests of, uh, of, of the unborn first, and also to, in equal measure to demonstrate the generosity and compassion of the American people toward women who've been caught up in abortion in the last 50 years and, and women who find themselves in a crisis pregnancy today. Face the Nation will be back in one minute. Stay with us. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores, including Doc Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cashback events, and it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. There's been a string of recent shootings, some deadly, following simple, everyday mistakes. Our Mark Strassman has a look at the impact it's having on an already anxious nation. Time and again lately, innocence has met armed Americans assuming the worst. A stray basketball rolled into a neighbor's yard in North Carolina. Gunshots. He shot my daddy. A Texas cheerleader got into the wrong car. And in New York, cars pulling into the wrong driveway became a fatal mistake. Each time, gunshots. My friends, there is a toxic mixture in this country today of hate, of anger, and a population that is increasingly armed to the teeth with deadly weapons. More than 70% of adults say gun violence is a significant source of stress. About half say guns are a constant threat or a major concern, and 62% of black and Hispanic Americans. Nearly 30% bought a gun as protection from gun violence. We're a country up in arms. In just two years of the pandemic, Americans bought 60 million guns. Almost half of us now have a gun at home. But to the NRA and its supporters, blaming guns for gun violence misses the target. This is a mental health problem. This is a social problem. This is a cultural problem. This is a spiritual problem. In Kansas City, 16-year-old Ralph Yarl rang the doorbell of the wrong house. He's recovering from a gunshot to the head. He was supposed to stay outside and his brothers were supposed to run outside, get in the car, and they, and they come home. And that was what was supposed to happen. And while he was standing there, his brothers didn't run outside, but he got a couple of bullets in his body. Legal experts say homeowner Andrew Lester may claim self-defense under Missouri's Stand Your Ground law. About 30 states have Stand Your Ground laws. Florida was first in 2005, a law made famous by the Trayvon Martin shooting in 2012. 
But those laws do not provide blanket protection for shooting anyone who comes at you. And one study linked stand-your-ground laws with an up to 11% monthly increase in gun homicides. It's a volatile, violent mix. Armed Americans already on edge, and a minor mishap later, gunshots. Our Mark Strassman reporting. Welcome back to Face the Nation and more of Robert Costa's conversation with former Vice President Mike Pence. There has been a spate of gun violence in recent weeks, and it's at times legal gun owners shooting people who come up to their door on a driveway in a parking lot. What is happening in America, and can anything be done to dial down the fear and the violence? Well, our, our hearts go out to the families of lost loved ones in the incidents in, in Kansas City and in upstate New York. I just can't imagine uh, the pain that they're enduring and that tragedy. But uh, tragedy should not require us to forfeit our liberty. Uh, and the right of law-abiding citizens to keep and bear arms is enshrined in the Constitution of the United States. Uh, I, I don't know the facts of those cases. I'm confident that local law enforcement will move forward and apply the law in a proper way. But I can't help but suspect that this recent spate of tragedies is evidence of the fear that so many Americans are feeling about the crime wave besetting this country. But I think most people would agree, even if you have fear about crime in your community, there's no excuse to be just shooting at somebody at your door or in, your, in a parking lot. I, I can't imagine the circumstances that I read about in the press in either of those cases. And, and, and I'm, I'm sure local law enforcement will hold people to a proper accounting. I, uh, but I, but at, at the end of the day, I, I just wonder, I wonder if it isn't some reflection of the fear the American people feel about the crime wave that's impacting our country, literally from coast to coast. You have agreed to appear before the special counsel's ongoing grand jury investigating January 6th with some constraints on your testimony. Have you set a date with the special counsel about your appearance? Well, our, our attorneys have worked that out with the Justice Department. And, but I will say, I, I, I'm grateful that the court recognized that there are specific constitutional protections unique to the vice president when you're serving in your role as president of the Senate. I thought it was important to make that challenge. For the first time in history, a federal court acknowledged that that provision of the Constitution applies to the vice president, and they've, they've limited what they'll be requesting of me. But we'll, uh, Help us beyond that, that, I can tell you, bit. Robert, we'll, we'll obey the law. Uh, we'll tell the truth. And, uh, the story that I've been telling the American people all across the country, the story that I wrote in the pages of my memoir, that'll, uh, that'll be what I tell in that setting as well. But for a layperson who's not a lawyer, what are the constraints in your view on your upcoming testimony? Will you, for example, be able to testify in your view about the private conversations you have had with President Trump? Is that within the range of what you could do before the grand jury? I think I'm limited about what I can say about the proceedings of the grand jury or the decision of the judge, but people can be confident that we'll, uh, we'll obey the law, we'll comply with the law. But I've got to tell you, Robert, uh, nobody's talking to me about this. Fox News just settled with Dominion for $787 million over false claims that were on the network. Any reaction? Well, I, I would assume that, that Fox News determined uh, what, what the appropriate settlement was and what the exposure was in that case. I can't, I can't really speak to it. That was not a time in my life that I was watching a lot of television, Robert. I was focused on the tax at hand, focused on doing our duty under the Constitution of the United States. The role that you, your network, and other members of the media play is vital uh, to our democracy. and. Uh, I'll always stand for a free and independent press even when I don't agree with what you say or do. It's almost May. When are you going to decide <laughs> on whether you are running for the Republican nomination? Well, we're getting awful close, but I don't have anything to announce today, Robert, but I Will I you promise, make a hard decision by late June? I think anyone that would be serious about seeking the Republican nomination uh, would need to be in this contest. 
uh, by June. And, so you uh, will make a decision by late June? I, I think if, if we have an announcement to make, uh, whether it'll but, be well before late June. But are you leaning in or are you leaning away from running? Well, I'm here in Iowa, Robert. <laughs> well, that's a tell. Look, I love this country. And I think America's in a lot of trouble. And what I hear people telling me is that the challenges that we're facing in an increasingly dangerous world, uh, the challenges that we're facing in this economy with inflation at a 40-year high, a crisis at our border, um, are, are going to require someone who has the ability to step in on day one and set our country back on a path towards security and prosperity. And uh, so we're thinking very deeply about that. And as I said, I, sounds like I don't have anything in. to announce sounds today. Sounds like you're leaning but in. I, uh, look, leaning uh, toward it versus away. I, I would tell you that I'm very humbled by the encouragement that we're receiving. And uh, uh, I promise when we have something to announce, you'll be among the first to know. Robert Krause's full conversation with the former vice president is on our website and our Face the Nation YouTube channel. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, the coldest case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. We go now to the mayor of Kansas City, which is where the shooting of Ralph Yarl happened. Quentin Lucas joins us now from our affiliate KCTV. Good morning to you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, this case is Good morning. is so tragic, um, and it has really captured the attention of the country. Uh, the shooter was 84 years old, and he shot unarmed 16-year-old for ringing his doorbell. Um, he says he thought he was about to be robbed. I know you already have a high rate of gun violence in Kansas City, but what is this particular tragedy meant? Well, to me, it says several things. And one of those was mentioned just a moment ago by Vice President Pence in the interview. I think that actually it is this culture of fear and paranoia that's drummed up by some, including politicians like the former vice president, who mention it almost in a way as if it's an excuse for this type of action. This was in the safest neighborhood of Kansas City, or one of our safest neighborhoods, and this was a man who in his statement to the police said, I was scared of this, in essence, large black person outside of his door. He thought the child was six feet tall, he was only 5'8", he thought he was a threat, he was on the other side of two locked doors. This is the sort of thing that happens when you have this culture of paranoia and fear that's being drummed up by politicians and some in the media. And of course, this fetishization, I've said before, of guns. More stand your ground laws, more laws that say you should use your gun and have it absolutely everywhere. So your governor, um, who is a Republican, condemned the shooting. Uh, very clearly. But he also said that President Biden was politicizing it by calling the family of that boy, Ralph Yarl. Um, he didn't call the families of the victims in New York and in Texas. What do you make of that? And 
does it complicate things when the president gets involved, just given how divided our country is right now? It absolutely does not complicate anything when the president gets involved. First of all, this was a, a news story, an incident, a situation that had the attention of the country long before President Biden called and actually did the just humane thing and gave best wishes to a boy who had just been shot twice. This is a 16-year-old in the Midwest who'd been shot twice. He gets a call from the president of the United States, which I think is a nice thing. But really, if you think about all the conversation, there was not a conversation I had certainly in this city, but with any mayors around the country who weren't noticing this story. The racial dynamic, the fact that these laws that are extreme are frankly arming our citizens and having them more scared, I think, than they've ever been before. This was an 84-year-old man who went to sleep in one of the safest neighborhoods of Kansas City, but still had a loaded gun. And when he heard a disturbance at his door, the first thing he thought to do wasn't just to brandish. It wasn't even to say a word or scream at somebody who would be outside. It was to shoot, and to shoot twice. The facts of this case were astonishing in and of themselves, and had the president never said a word, there would still be lots of attention. I strongly disagree with the governor, particularly when his party often has politicized any number of incidents relating to border crossings and beyond in places like Missouri, far away from our southern border, to use any number of political examples. I think that this is a serious situation, and the real politicization are the people who, after each one of these incidents, yeah. say, oh, let's blame it on mental health, let's blame it on society. It's, it's tragic right now. You uh, just talked about your Republican governor, um, and I just want to point out that in Kansas City, it's a little bit unusual because you as mayor don't oversee the police department. There's a board appointed by the state uh, that oversees them. So you're a Democrat in a red state where you can't control the police department in your own city. So how do you work with the governor to crack down on the gun violence if it is the Republicans in control of it? Well, we beg, we pray and we plead with them. These, these are Missourians who are, are shot, right? This is not some sort of thing where the city is just an evil place far, far away. We are within this state. But you're seeing not just in Missouri. We've had this set up for a while in Kansas City. Right now, there's an effort to take over state control of policing in St. Louis. You saw a lawsuit filed by the NAACP on Friday night in Jackson, Mississippi, mm -hmm. relating to that issue where there's this state takeover. The cities are now punching bags. They have been for a while, but you're seeing this new extreme of everything that happens here, even our crime, isn't something that we need to fix for the state. Instead, it's an indictment, let's say, on, on the city people themselves. I think it has lots to do with racial differences that are present in the city, our different views on gun crimes, and frankly, it's something that can scare people a little bit more yeah. than perhaps talking about international affairs or deficits. Instead, it's something that seems to be down the street, and it is harming and tearing apart our country. Um, a lawyer for Ralph Yarl's family spoke to my colleague Gail King and said they were pleased with the felony charges that the police did um, you know, proceed along with, but they want to know why attempted murder wasn't part of it, and they have questions about if there were civil rights violated. Do you have answers from the police or anyone on, on those points? I know our police department has worked hard to review this situation, and while there are critiques, certainly we welcome those and further study. I think the challenge with a hate crimes charge is just the proof of intent that relates to it. What we do have is that there was a man who said that he was afraid of a black male outside of his door. He shot twice. The felony assault charge carries life in prison, which for an 84-year-old is a substantial potential sentence. There's an additional armed criminal action charge. Mm -hmm. But I believe that our federal investigators and so many others will look into this to see if there are further charges. I think what a lot of people, though, wanted to say over the last week is yeah. that this was taken seriously. It was astonishing to some that someone who could shoot someone twice was then back in their bed later that night. I know that we have worked hard to try to address that, but we'll answer more questions as time goes along with this tragic situation. Just to button up what you were saying in terms of culture of fear, can't both things be true that there is too much anxiety and uh, manipulation of fear at the same time there is a legitimate concern about rising crime? 
you know, both can be true, but I don't think that's the actual situation now. I mean, think about the fact that, and you hear certain political figures who talk about cities that are fundamentally safer than actual cities in their own state. Mm -hmm. Often this is kind of the Governor DeSantis bashing of New York City, which is much safer yeah. than a lot of the largest cities in the state of Florida. I right. think this is in many ways fully drummed up, and it's part of getting people more guns, getting them more afraid, okay. and I don't think it in any way relates to the data on the ground each day. Okay. Mr. Mayor, thank you for your time. We'll be right back. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. We turn now to Israel, where tens of thousands of protesters marched through Tel Aviv last night in opposition to the government's plans to overhaul the judicial system. This is just days ahead of Israel's 75th anniversary, celebrating its independence. For more, we go now to the country's prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. Good morning to you, Mr. Prime Minister. Good morning. Good to be with you. We're glad you are here. Um, you know, it has been a month since you hit pause on those judicial reforms. At this moment in time when you need national unity, why not withdraw them? Well, I, I think there's a, a broad consensus that we have to uh, make corrections in our judicial system. There's a, a, a obviously a dramatic difference between the views of how, to what extent, and so on. But I think this should not cloud the fact that we're celebrating here a modern miracle. Israel's 75th anniversary uh, is the change that happened to the Jewish people who were uh, decimated in the Holocaust. A third of our people were lost uh, to this independent nation that has become a power in the world. And I think everybody unites around that. You had to uh, cancel a Monday appearance at the largest gathering of North American Jewish leaders in years because of these protest concerns. Again, why not withdraw the proposal to overhaul the judicial system, which would give parliament, which is controlled by your allies, authority to overturn Supreme Court decisions? Well, I've uh, actually uh, said that I will not accept a blanket uh, ability of the parliament to overcome uh, judicial uh, Supreme Court decisions, just as we don't accept that the Supreme Court can abrogate any decision by the parliament or the government. Both sides, uh, both uh, of these uh, extremes actually uh, hinder the balance between the three branches of government, which is exactly what we're trying to uh, bring into balance now. There sir, is, sir, you're think, making this sound like it's uh, just a, a debate. And happy middle. You're making it sound like this is just a simple debate like any but, other country. But you yourself use the phrase that you were pausing because you wanted to stop the possibility of civil war. That was a phrase you used when you hit pause. I want to I want to just uh, lay out for you here um, what it has done here in the United States. Um, those judicial plans led President Biden to say he won't be inviting you to Washington anytime soon. Listen. I'm very concerned. And I'm concerned that they get this straight. They cannot continue down this road. Hopefully, uh, the prime minister will act in a way that he can try to work out some genuine compromise. Biden told you to walk away. You seem to be betting yes. that there won't be consequences to alienating your closest ally. Well, I value the alliance with the United States and I value the friendship I've had over 40 years with President Biden. I don't think anything will get in that way. But uh, it's, it's an internal matter that we have to resolve and we're doing it. And the way we're doing it is by seeking a consensus. As we speak right now, Margaret, as we speak right now, there are teams of uh, my own party, the Likud and the coalition, 
with teams from the opposition speaking in the president's house. This is now the fifth or sixth meeting they've had, seeking that compromise that I think uh, is the mark of uh, democracies. You don't walk away from a problem. You try to solve it, but you no, try to solve away it from your through proposal. as broad a consensus as you can. Walk away from your proposal, which would well, allow Parliament changed. with a simple majority we've, we've to override any decision by the Supreme Court. That is your one check and balance on power, very different from the American system. I want to ask you about the makeup of your government because it is impacting U.S. relations. Your finance minister calls himself a homophobe. He said a Palestinian village should be erased. You did say that was inappropriate. Your public security minister was rejected from army service because of past uh, ties to an extremist group designated by the U.S. as a terrorist organization. I know you need to keep your coalition together to prevent a collapse, but are you confident you can rein in people like this? I think a lot of them have changed over time, and they themselves say that. But the important thing to understand is they joined me. I didn't join them. We have by far the largest uh, party in the Knesset and certainly in the coalition. Uh, they're smaller parties. Uh, the mainstream policies are decided by me, uh, and that's what I'm doing. Well, this national security minister I just mentioned, Ben Gavir, who threatened to quit, which would have collapsed your government, you promised him a National Guard will be established under his control. The IDF and your security forces are more than strong. Um, he's already gone out and said he wants police to remove Palestinian flags from public spaces. What exactly do you think he's going to do with this National Guard? Well, the National Guard is not merely uh, his idea. It's a wide proposal, which is, by the way, I recognize was actually proposed by the previous government as well, because you need—Israel has uh, a small police force relative to the size of the population, and we face, unlike other police forces around the world, we face the constant threat of terror. There is a National Guard. It's going to be under one of our— uh, national security, un, un, under one of our security arms, it's not going to be any individual persons or ministers, militia. That's not going to happen in Israel. Not okay. under me, and I suspect not under, under one else. It's just okay. not going to happen. Can you clarify this for us as well, because it's making headlines in the U.S.? Uh, politician May Golan said that you are considering appointing her to be consul general in New York. She calls herself a proud racist. She's denounced African refugees as Muslim infiltrators and criminals spreading HIV. Are you nominating her to actually serve in New York an incredibly important post for Israel? It is indeed an incredibly important post, and anyone I'll nominate, and I haven't done so, uh, will have to abide and will abide by the mainstream positions that I've advocated, and I, uh, I welcome the, uh, the fact that the, the United States has uh, a multiracial uh, and pluralistic society. So does Israel. And as anyone I appoint will have to reflect the, uh, the value that I attach to that, uh, that quality uh, in our democracy and in yours. So you are not appointing her? I haven't, but uh, I'm telling you, you that won't. anyone that I will appoint will abide stringently, stringently by that view that I've uh, advocated throughout my lifetime. And it's not pro forma. It's not lip service. I really believe that. Okay. Um, sounds like you're saying she's not coming to New York. Um, I want to ask you about some of the Americans coming to Israel. Uh, Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis is visiting Israel this week, and he's presumed to be running for president here, as you know. Do you plan to meet with him? Of course, I'll meet with everyone. Why not? I meet with Republican governors and Democratic governors. Uh, I'm not avoiding the question, and actually, I'm I'm rushing right into it. I meet with every American representative, governor, senator, members of Congress, and I think it's uh, it's my job, and I think it's important for Israel's bipartisan support in the United States. I make a point of it. Okay, because for the first time, there was a poll from Gallup last month that showed Democrats are likelier to sympathize with Palestinians than with Israelis for the first time. Um, I know it's easy to dismiss polls, but this seems to be a reflection of public sentiment in the United States that relates directly to Israel's influence in America. Forty nine percent of Democrats sympathize with Palestinians, 38 percent with Israelis. Do you think that matters? Yeah, I do think it matters. And I think we have to work harder to persuade uh, our Democratic colleagues or those of those uh, our Democratic colleagues who uh, uh, who forget, perhaps, that Israel is the, the solitary democracy in the Middle East, that America has no better friend and no better ally than Israel. But I'll tell you why I think this happens. First of all, it's happening over time. 
it happened over time. It's not related to this or that administration in Israel because it happened. It continued under the previous government as well. I think there is a demonization of Israel uh, in uh, some of the reports, many of the reports that come out of here. And I think there is a portion of the American public that finds it hard to understand that once you you enter the, the realm of nations, you have to act to defend yourself. And I think uh, we have to work hard to persuade uh, both Democrats. sides of the aisle and the independents in between. Yes, both sides of the aisle uh, and, uh, in, in this case, Democrats, uh, because we have solid support among independents and solid support among Republicans and considerable support among Democrats. But I'm not going to give up. Mr. Prime Minister, thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. We'll be right back. That's it for us today. Thank you for watching. Until next week. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Delaware Democratic Senator Chris Coons, former Vice President Mike Pence, the Mayor of Kansas City, Quentin Lucas, and the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates in CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our CBS News streaming network on Sundays at 1.30, 4, 10 p.m. Eastern, and again at 4 a.m. the next morning. And it's available through our apps, CBS News and Paramount+. Plus. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts.